What's up, everybody? Welcome to Code of the Bullpen. I'm David Payne, alongside Brad Zampar and Jimmy Miller. Let's play ball. We, this is our first episode of the regular season. This is the first time that you're going to see really what Call of the Bullpen is going to be like this year. Uh, so let's get right into our quick hits, which is our current events. Uh, let's start with some stuff that happened before the season even started. We were kind of counting down the minutes to Garrett Cole's first pitch uh, this last Friday, uh, waiting for some news about an Aaron Judge extension. Uh, Brian Cashman called a press conference at 11.15 before the game, uh, and everyone kind of knew that there was going to be no deal there. Um, which is really unfortunate. I'm not even a Yankees fan, and I want to see that guy get locked up. Uh, I'm actually a fan of a team in division, and I want to see that guy get locked up uh, for a long time there. I think this goes down totally different if uh, George Steinbrenner was in charge and not his son. I think if, if George is in charge, if the boss is in charge still, Judge is giving him a blank check, a C on his chest, uh, and they announce it to the stadium over the Jumbotron on opening day. Um, but nothing there. Uh, and actually news came out too that they apparently didn't even talk to Bryce Harper when he was a free agent. Uh, so uh, uh, Brian Cashman putting himself maybe even more on the hot seat than he already was. Uh, but also some other extension news going on. Key Brian Hayes actually getting an extension and then on the same day leaving the game with an injury. And that's kind of why you see a, an extension being so important there. Um, if Judge were to go off and get hurt this year, tank his value. Um, whereas Key Bryan has a paycheck coming for a, a while now, even if he's hurt. Um, Miles Straw even got an extension, five years, 25 million with two option years. Uh, but the one I really want your guys' thoughts on is Judge and the Yankees uh, and where you're at in this whole situation. Um, one thing that, that stood out to me personally was Anthony Rizzo at a press conference saying um, something like, there's no loyalty in this game anymore. Look at Freddie Freeman, he's not on the Braves anymore. Um, obviously, Rizzo himself not a member of the Cubs anymore, which he was a longtime member. Uh, so, where are you guys at in this? You like it for Judge that he's, he's betting on himself? You like it for the Yankees that they're not giving him the money? Uh, where are you guys at? Let's start with you, Jim. Yeah, I think Rizzo with his Freeman comment, I think it almost predates the Freeman situation, maybe kind of throwing shade at the Cubs. The 2016 World Series winning, the three core guys. Baez, Bryant, and Rizzo did not get extensions. So he knows what it's like to get disrespected by his team that he came up with, you know, got traded to at a young age. What do you think, Brad? Yeah, uh, I definitely didn't think that they were going to come to an extension after it took so long. And they were talking about it like almost constantly for like the last two weeks leading up to the season. So I kind of came to the assumption that they weren't going to be coming to an agreement, although I didn't expect judge to turn that turn down that kind of money. Cause that's kind of where in the ballpark was that I had him signing, but yeah, I understand it from his standpoint. And I know you guys have heard the uh, band, the traveling band. Uh, this might be the traveling jury now with the uh, judges chambers leaving. Yeah. I, you know, I think that that loyalty line definitely could have been a dig at the Cubs. And it makes me wonder if that there's some kind of tension in the clubhouse now. You know, you got players talking about loyalty to their team and their team's loyalty to them before a first pitch is even thrown. Also, maybe some clubhouse concerns there with that. Uh, but around the league, lots of guys joining new clubhouses. And there were some debuts that really stood out to me, whether that be major league debuts uh, or debuts with new teams. Uh, and something that really stood out to me were Kyle Schwarber scooping up a ball that was basically in the dirt to hit a home run in his first at-bat in Philly. 
Bobby Witt Jr. making a splash with the Royals in his very first major league game with a go-ahead double in the eighth inning. Josh Donaldson walked it off for the Yankees in their first game. Robbie Ray's first game out in Seattle was a seven-inning, three-hit, one-run masterpiece. Sean Manea in his first game in San Diego, that he was built for San Diego. Uh, seven innings pitched, no earned runs, no hits. Uh, but the one that really stood out to me, my favorite, was Jeremy Pena's first major league home run. And it wasn't in his debut, but it was his first big league home run. While his parents were doing an interview, uh, such a cool moment to see there. But were there any debuts, uh, maybe on, on your favorite teams or around the league that stood out to you guys? Yeah, as a big Mets fan, Tyler McGill, you know, with five scoreless innings in his first Mets opening day start. Who would have thought or expected McGill, who's likely going to be a long relief spot start option before spring training started, to start the season off for the Mets? I think it's a testament to Buck Showalter, you know, a manager who, who's always shown confidence in his young guys, confidence in all his players. And uh, Brad, do you have any you're looking forward to coming up? Yeah, I loved all the debuts that we were uh... – we've seen so far and one that I'm really looking forward to is Hunter Green tomorrow afternoon against the World Series defending champ Braves and I just really hope that he goes out there and really lives up to that potential as a top pick in the draft. That's been such a long time coming like I've been excited about Hunter Green for as long as I can remember like as long as the draft has been on MLB Network I've been hyped about Hunter Green coming up so I'm super super excited to see what he can do. He was like touted as the two-way guy before Shohei came along and like obviously Shohei has the the, the two-way guy title now but Hunter Green was like going through high school he was the guy we were looking at as like the two-way guy uh, but Jim you just brought up this Mets Nets series or Mets Nets series uh run me through uh, some of the drama that went down in that series there yeah so the Mets have been hit four times in the past two games and it all came to a head last night after Lindor took a pitch from Steve Ciszek, veteran reliever, to the chin protector. Um, Buck Showalter came charging out of the dugout, screaming, you know, explosives towards Ciszek, you know, charging out to the mound. And after a brief, you know, kind of screaming match, you know, there was some pushing. Both sides went back to their dugouts. Yeah, it was uh... – I guess after the first game, there were a couple of hit by pitches and Dave Martinez and Buck Showalter, I guess, talked after the game. And I guess they were saying that guys are still trying to get a grip on the ball. It's a new ball. But yeah, I mean, after four and 14 innings is what it was at one point when he got hit. It's I guess it warrants um, being there a discussion of what's actually going on. Yeah, I think the balls thing can definitely play into it. Uh offense was generally up around the league early on. We saw a lot of really good pitchers get hit around a little bit. And, you know, that could have to do with the National League having an extra real batter in the lineup now, too. But even some AL guys like, you know, Cole struggled early on. Um, but uh, this is why we love Buck Showalter, right? Buck Showalter's always been a guy that has his players back and then was going to stand up for his players. Uh, and he was definitely seeing red after you saw your franchise player, Frankie Lindor, hit the ground there. Uh, and honestly, that chin strap, the C-flat, might have saved Lindor's life there uh, because that pitch came in hot at his face. Um, but this is why we love Buck. Brad and I are familiar with him from our, our days in Baltimore. Uh, he, we were at Manny Machado's first career ejection, and Buck was right next to Manny, hooting and hollering with him, you know, not trying to pull him back or anything like that. So he's always been a fiery guy that has his guys back. Oh, but this reminds me a lot of the Wilson Contreras issue with the Brewers, who actually got hit by them again yesterday. 
Um, he's been hit 59 times in his career, and 15 of them have been by the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, and that's been a, a brewing hit by pitch issue. Um, and it also coincides with this slippery stuff uh, going on with the baseballs. So maybe that's a factor. Uh, I'd like to think that guys aren't, you know, throwing at each other, especially this early in the season. Um, but you never know. Uh, Brad, what do you got for us? Uh, yeah, I have Lucas Giolito. He was placed on the 10-day IL today with uh, abnormal, uh, abdominal tightness. And uh, he's optimistic about not missing more than two starts, but I guess that's kind of not great to hear when you're optimistic about missing at least two. So that sounds like a ramp up period at least. And I don't know if the White Sox are going to be able to hold down that division so easily without their one A and their one B being hurt. So I wonder if that opens up the door for the other AL Central hopefuls in the Indians, the Royals and the Twins and the Tigers, honestly. I don't think so. I think it's possible, but I think it's not likely. I think that the White Sox were, you know, a couple tiers better than those other teams. So a month of losing your top two pitchers, maybe, you know, that gap is too wide for it to be filled by that. Um, There's an old saying that you can't win a division in April, but you can lose one in April. Um, So nobody ever expected the White Sox to clinch and lock up in April. Um, but certainly they could have a really bad month and fall too far behind. Some team could surprise and, and go out there, you know, and, and put them down nine games. Um, but even being up nine games this month is not safe. So uh, I don't think so. I don't think it's that big of a factor. But what do you got, Jim? I think with Giolito, you know, I think he's waiting for his real big breakout year. I think he had a very good year in 2019. He made 29 starts. But he hasn't had that, you know, Cy Young-worthy season, and I think he needs that under his belt. You know, it's a shame he's going to miss at least two starts. It really is. Yeah, so obviously we're not fully uh, a week into the season yet. We've had a a couple days of games under our belt so far. Uh, So we don't have full players of the week yet, but we can go with a a player, players of the opening series and call it a players of the week. So on the major league side, Jim, why don't you take us through our our players of the week for the opening series? So for AL player of the week, I have Alex Bregman. He went four for eight, you know, 500 batting average, league leading two home runs and four RBIs. Uh, I went with Fromber Valdez of the same Astros, six and two thirds scoreless innings, just one walk and six strikeouts. AL rookie of the week, Bobby Witt Jr., you know, game deciding RBI double in the first game, first game of his career, you know, just as you'd expect him to do. NL player of the week, I went with Jeff McNeil, posted the 679 OPS last year, a down year from what we're used to seeing from him. League leading five hits and one home run yesterday on his 29th birthday. Uh, Sean Manaya is my NL pitcher of the week. San Diego Sean, seven hitless innings versus the Diamondbacks with seven Ks. And National Beer Day, Seth Beer, how fitting, walk-off home run in the first game of the season. And be sure to check us out on our socials on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. for our MLB Players of the Week at CTBP Pod. We'll be posting these on IG, Twitter, and TikTok. And Brad, uh, the minor league side, these guys kind of just kicked off, right? They're, they're a day or two into their season. Uh, but there's definitely been some standout performances in those couple of days, right? Yes, there have been. Um, 
down on the AAA level, I have a guy that's relatively close to home for me, and it's going to be Eusenio Diaz, who is an outfielder for the Norfolk Tides. He's the Orioles' 26th-ranked prospect. He went 6 for 15. He hit 400. He slugged three, 9.33, which is good for third in AAA. His OPS is a 1,407, which is good for fifth in AAA. Two doubles, two homers, and his seven RBIs are tied for second in AAA. And down on the AA level, I have David Hamilton, who's a shortstop for the Portland Sea Dogs, who's not ranked inside the Red Sox top 30. But in his one game so far, he went four for five. He hit 800, slugged 2,400. His OPS was 3,200. He hit a triple, two home runs, seven RBIs. And he was actually in the uh, Hunter Renfro trade that brought Jackie Bradley Jr. back to Boston. And one level lower is going to be Christian Encarnacion Strand. He is a third baseman, first baseman for the Cedar Rapid Colonels, who are with the Twins uh, organization. And he's the 29th-ranked prospect there. He went 4 for 5 as well, 800. Slug 2,000 is OPS, 2,800. He homered twice. He had nine RBIs, and he was a 2021 fourth-round pick last year. Yeah, so one of those guys that I want to take a second to touch on uh, is Yusniel Diaz, man, uh, because he, there may have been a, a better performance across AAA, but maybe not a more important performance, right? This is a guy uh, who was the Orioles traded for Manny Machado, who since that trade has been hurt and underperforming year after year. And this looks like maybe it could finally be the Isniel Diaz that we traded Manny Machado for. Um, so that's really why that's such an important standout performance there at the AAA uh, level. But now let's bring back the best and worst umpire of the week. Uh, so, Brad, give us our best and worst umpire of the opening series. So our best umpire of the week, of the weekend, I guess you could call it, but uh, it was Ron Kupla. Uh, he did the Mariners and Twins opening day. It was a two to one game. He his overall favor was plus point zero two for the Mariners. His overall accuracy for the day was ninety six percent, up from the average, which is normally ninety four percent. And his overall consistency with his strike zone was a ninety seven percent, where the average is also ninety four percent. But for the worst um, umpire of the week, it is going to be Jeff Nelson. He did the Rays and Orioles game yesterday. His overall favor was plus seventy plus point seven six for the Rays yesterday. So obviously three quarters of a run in a one run ball game, and his most impactful missed call was occurred in the eighth inning, where the Rays ended up taking the lead and winning the game. His overall consistency for the day was ninety two percent, and his overall accuracy for the day was eighty five percent which is not where you want to be for major league umpire. Yeah, that's tough as an Orioles fan to see well, in a one-run game like that just how much the umpire could have possibly had an outcome. Of course, that doesn't excuse you know scoring one run all game. Uh, the umpires don't completely make or break the outcome, but that, I mean, in the 80s for percentage and cost, you know, costing almost a whole run is, is pretty frustrating. Uh, but we're going to go ahead right now and take a look at our top five plays from the opening weekend. No more talk. Let the kids play. Mm. 
Abuna. Bregman with a stop. The throw to first. Gets up. And I can put you in. Having Bregman out there, he's just a game changer. He's a gamer. He does everything right. He got the win. Rios on 2-2 up the middle. Diving play made by Bronco. And the throw in. And I can put you in. seen our top five plays of the week we're going to go to cooper who has our colorized mlb photo of the week hey everyone welcome to a new segment of call to the bullpen photo of the week each week we'll be highlighting a different colorized photo of some of baseball's best icons and moments this week we feature a photo of ted williams touching home after hitting a walk-off home run on july 8th 1941 at the all-star game in detroit as he arrives at home joe dimaggio is there to greet him with merv shea as joe gordon looks on from the background I chose this photo not only because it is a career highlight from Williams' historic career, but it also encapsulates the aura of the 1941 baseball season. As many were enamored by DiMaggio's historic 56-game hitting streak, which stretched from May 15th to July 17th, his rival in Boston was quietly cementing his own legacy. At the break, Williams batted 405, but still took a backseat to DiMaggio's eye-popping streak. In the bottom of the ninth, when DiMaggio stepped up to the plate with the bases loaded down by one, everybody expected him to come through. Instead, he hit a weak ground ball, which looked like a sure double play. He reached safely on an error, where Williams then stepped up. He promptly launched a three-run home run to give the AL the win, and then captured the eyes of America for the rest of the season. He would go on to hit 406, while DiMaggio's hitting streak ended at 56 games. This photo perfectly captures the historic season these players will forever share together. You can find more photos like this, on Instagram and Twitter at rewind underscore baseball. Now back to the guy. Thanks to Cooper for that awesome photo. Now we're going to head to our power and sour rankings. The power and sour rankings are presented by fit and faded fit and faded promotes cannabis as a dietary supplement for fitness enthusiasts. Head over to fit fadedcom to check out their products ranging from athleisure wear to protein and pre-workout to CBD products. So we're going to kick it off with the sour rankings, which is the worst of the worst across the league. And who could be worse than Rob Manfred coming in at number one on this week's sour rankings? At number two are the Oakland Athletics. Number three is the Pittsburgh Pirates. Number four is the Cincinnati Reds. And number five is my Baltimore Orioles. Hopping over to the best of the best on the power rankings, counting it down from five. Number five is the Tampa Bay Rays. Number four is the defending World Series champion Atlanta Braves. Number three is the Chicago White Sox. Number two is the newly stacked Toronto Blue Jays. And of course, number one is the juggernaut of the West, 
the LA Dodgers. If you want to see numbers six through 10, you could head over to at CTBP pod on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok to get the rest of the rankings. Uh, those are going to be posted on Saturday nights. Uh, 6 p.m. So keep an eye out for those every week of the MLBC. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of Call to the Bullpen. We're going to be doing our mailbox this week for the first time. That's going to be on our Instagram story on Thursday night. You guys can go on there, ask us questions. We'll answer them in the next week's mailbox video. Uh, In the meantime, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. We have our own platforms at CTBP pod. Follow us at the David Payne at Brad Zampar at Jimmy underscore Miller four. Uh, and we'll see you guys back here next week for episode two.